Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Good evening, everyone. Buenas tardes, todos. So glad you came and uh, are making an investment in your spiritual future. Qué bueno que estés and, aquí. Um, tonight, I'm going to... Uh, preach a message entitled Clear Vision, um, and you'll see what I mean by that in a minute, but um, it's really important that we understand that uh, clarity, I said this, this this morning, but clarity precedes empowerment. So the reason why Many of us have the Spirit of God on the inside of us, or we have uh, a, a vision for what we believe our life should be at some level. When you lack clarity, when you feel like things are foggy, when you don't really have an idea of what you want your life to really look like, or what God has actually promised you in your life and for your life, then when, it, when you go to live out that life, you lack power in that area. This is why we don't have power in our marriages because we're not clear on who we are, what we have. This is why we struggle financially sometimes is because we don't really understand the uh, biblical patterns for prosperity. We're not clear, so we just live our life trying hard. And if you're trying, you're dying trying. There isn't anything uh, biblical about trying. You either are doing it or you're not doing it. I'm trying to have faith. No, you're either having faith or not having faith. I'm trying to forgive. Well, you're either forgiving or you're not. Well, I'm trying to live this Christian life. Well, you don't try. That's like trying to eat. Or how about this? Trying not to eat. Come on, somebody. Uh, you know, I'm trying not to eat chocolate. Well, what's that? Oh, that's a melted chocolate chip on my face right there. Uh, so I want to I wanna break this down a little bit. And, uh, and by the end of the evening, I'm believing that you're going to have uh, some additional power as it pertains to what you want to see and do in your life. Amen, somebody? So uh, let's get right into this. Um, Let's just start at the beginning uh, of what I want to talk about here. If we go to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this. But if the same spirit... Now, you guys are going to have to pay attention to me because... uh, I'm not like a surfacey preacher. You got to have a new thought in church. Um, I kind of bump up against some traditional mindsets because if traditional mindsets got you the life that you wanted, you wouldn't be uh, living. You wouldn't be living the life you're not wanting. If spiritual, uh, uh, if if traditional spirit spiritual communication or theological communication was enough to bring revival, the city would already be in revival. If our traditions were enough to uh, give us empowerment in the way we live our lives, then there wouldn't be pockets of exception. So uh, I'm going to push the envelope a little bit here, um, but I think I'm right about it. So it says, if the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead So what raised Jesus from the dead? A spirit. If the same spirit, 
the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So you mean to tell me that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, God raised Jesus from the dead, but he used his spirit to do it. So what got Jesus up out of the grave? The Holy Spirit. The spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. And if the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, and that same exact spirit dwells in you, then, huh, then we don't have any excuses why the dead things in our life are killing us. You can say amen anytime you want in this, in this Baptist church. So, so the reality of our life is that what is holding us down has less power than what is living on the inside of us. We just don't have clarity about what's on the inside of us. Because clarity precedes empowerment. So if you were clear about the spirit of God that is on the inside of you, that it is identical to the spirit of God that went into that grave and blew Jesus out of that thing, you would not be complaining about your light bill and your teenager and your husband. Come on, somebody. You just sick the Holy Ghost on your husband. Jesus, go get him. Go get him and show him mighty things that he know not of. <laughs> so if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then God will also give life to your mortal bodies or quicken, the Bible says, quicken or give uh, empowerment to your physical realm, to the physical realm. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to have heaven. That's why Jesus said, pray that it's on earth as it is in heaven. So you can actually have heaven on earth if you understand the power that lives on the inside of you. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that I want to talk about a little bit today. Because if we can get clear on that, then a lot of things will change in our life. See, our union with Jesus further reveals this because the same spirit that awakened the body of Jesus from the dead inhabits us. So if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead participated or, or, or created a resurrection in him, then it, will, it can create a resurrection in us. A resurrection in us is not possible until we first understand that there are things in our life that are dead. So whatever's dead in your life that you want to live, you have accessibility to the, to the empowerment to bring whatever's dead back to life in your life. Is your dream dead? Is your company dead? Is your relationship dead? Is your marriage dead? Is your money dead? Are your, your, your connection with your kids dead? If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So we don't have any biblical provision to allow ourselves to continue in broken dreams, broken relationships, broken finances, broken families, broken bodies, broken, broken, broken. Because you might say, well, it looks dead. It doesn't matter if it's dead because if 
That's what Jesus was. And God showed us that we can participate not just in his death, but in his resurrection. Because this, listen, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead isn't limited to what's dead. God showed us that even if it's dead, it can live. Why? Because of the spirit that was in Jesus and the spirit that's in you is the same. Holy cow. You're like, wow, I didn't really, wasn't clear about that. We just started. I've been talking for three minutes. Now, listen, we equally participate in that thing raising us up. In the same act of authority, whereby God raised Jesus from the dead, that same authority can co, if you will, restore you and the areas of your life that are broken. The areas of your life that aren't alive that you wish were alive. Our bodies need never again to be an excuse for an inferior expression of the Christ life that we live. Just as it was reckoned, Jesus' life was reckoned dead in his death. Jesus was dead because he died. He's now reckoned alive because of the resurrection. So whatever was dead in you can be reckoned in, in as alive now because it was whatever was reckoned as de- was dead in Jesus is now alive in Jesus. Jesus was dead, now he's alive. Your thing was dead, now it's alive. Why? The spirit. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. The spirit of God, let me say it like this. The spirit carries the DNA of the sender of that spirit. So if a spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit was carrying the DNA of the one who sent the spirit. Because the spirit is sent. So it's like this. Our flesh has the capacity to cooperate with spirit. That's why the Bible says that in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on what? On flesh. Why would God pour his spirit out on flesh if flesh was not, didn't have the capability to cooperate with spirit? What would be the use of God pouring his spirit out on flesh unless flesh can cooperate with the spirit and carry out the agenda that that spirit is carrying that he got from the sender of that spirit? So the reason why God sends his spirit on all flesh is so that the spirit of prophecy can hit people. Then then you'll see visions. You'll, You'll dream dreams. You'll prophesy. Why? Because the spirit got on your flesh and now your flesh is carrying the agenda of the sender of the spirit. But let me tell you something. Just like we can cooperate with God's spirit, we can cooperate with the demonic spirit. God hasn't given you a what of fear? Fear is a spirit that you cooperate with in your flesh. God, what is it? He he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but it's, he, he didn't say a spirit of love, but it is a spirit of. He's saying, he's talking about you being under the influence of spirit. 
So he's saying you're either under the influence of spirit or you're under the influence, I mean, you're under the influence of the spirit of fear or you're under the influence of the spirit of love. The spirit of power. The spirit of a sound mind. A sound mind is spiritual. So until we understand and get clear on the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God that's on the inside of us, we cannot have clarity that will bring about empowerment in our lives. So, <laughs> even Jesus said, Mark 11, whatsoever things you desire when you pray. A lot of people pray trying to figure out their desire. Jesus said, don't even start praying until you get clear about what you want. You have not because you ask not. You ask not because you don't know what you want. So a lot of people are praying, asking God to show them. God doesn't want you asking him what he wants. He's asking you what you want. God gives you the desires of your heart. That means he'll deposit desires in your heart to give you a prophetic picture of your future. What's in your heart is what God didn't put that in there to frustrate you. He put that in there so you knew what your future looked like and you knew what to pray for. Come on, somebody. So, like, like I want to... I wanna, prosper financially so I can so I can resource the reach of the kingdom because the kingdom of God can only reach as far as it's resourced and if and how are we going to take care of the poor if we are the poor so if God puts a desire in your heart to prosper financially so you can promote the gospel he put that there not so you can go, oh, I just, I feel like I'm supposed to have money. Ooh, icky, 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 icky. God, show me what you want me to do. No, he's showing you by depositing the desire that's in your heart. God gives you the desires of your heart. You're thinking that, no, no, those are my desires. Those are my desires. Those are my, no, they're not. God is bigger than your little fleshly mind and all. He puts those desires in there and then now you got to have the spiritual courage to pray it. Whatsoever things you desire, then you pray. When you pray, believe that you've received them, then you'll have them. But they started by him putting them in there. So what do you want your life to look like? What, do you, what kind of husband do you want to be? What kind of wife do you want to be? What do you want your kids to look like? What do you want your finances to look like? Well, how long do you want to live? What do you want your church to look like? What do you want your city to look like? What does God put in your heart? That's what to pray. Stop asking God what he wants. He's asking you, what do you want? Oh, it got quiet in here in Michigan. I'm going to show you biblically what I'm talking about. We are wasting our time asking God what he wants when he already put in your heart what he wants. I knew exactly what to pray tonight for this service. God already put it in my heart what he wanted. I didn't say, God, whatever you want to do, do. No, he already told me what he wanted to do, and then he told me to pray what he put in my heart to do, and then he's going to do it. Why? Because he gave me a glimpse, just like he's giving you a glimpse. Have the courage 
to pray what's in your heart and stop getting religiously shamed out of what God wants to do with your life. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You guys all right? <sighs> Listen. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and following says, a, a, there's no good tree that can produce bad fruit. You're a good tree. Why do you keep thinking you're going to do bad? It's impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit, just like it's impossible for a bad tree to produce good fruit. If you are born again and you've got Jesus on in your heart and you have the Spirit of God running around on the inside of you, it is biblically impossible if you're in alignment with what's on the inside of you to produce bad fruit. Why? Because God is only good. Amen. Well, what if I'm bad? God still keeps being good. Well, God's punishing me. No, God can't punish you because he already used up all his punishing on Jesus. So every decision he makes about you is good. Why? Because God is good how often? Well, what if I'm not good? God keeps being good. How can God being good choose something bad for you? Amen. Like God's trying to do something good for me. Why? Because he's good. How often? All the time. Well, I did some bad stuff. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that you did bad stuff because your bad stuff doesn't affect God's good stuff. Amen. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that I can live any old way that I want to live? If you love God, you ain't going to live any, other way, any old way you want to live. God's grace will teach you to walk in righteousness. If you understand grace, you're not running around trying to find a loophole. And somebody said to me, Pastor, you just are giving people permission to sin. I'm like, people don't need my permission. <laughs> are you kidding me? People need permission to be righteous. They need, they need permission to be free. They need permission to, it's okay to let your shame go, to let your guilt go. It's okay to let your mistakes go. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's in my past. I know it might be recent history or ancient history. It's still history. Stop regurgitating your regrets and get on with destiny, baby. It's time for us to go, go, go. So remember... In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, if we could put that scripture up there, it, it says that we are adequate, we are to be adequate servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter of the law, but of the spirit, because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, so remember the disciples are walking with Jesus. And they get some opposition. These men come up to Jesus and the disciples and they begin to oppose them. And so the disciples say, hey, Jesus, why don't you just call down fire from heaven and just kill all these people? You remember that story? And what did Jesus say to them? He said, hey, you don't know what spirit you're of. He told his disciples, you are under the influence of a wrong spirit. Listen to me. 
When we as God's people want to kill people who oppose us, we don't know what spirit we are. When we hate people that are believing that abortion is okay, we don't know what spirit we are. When we, when we want to kill political parties that don't think like our political party, we don't know what spirit we're of. God did not put us on the planet to kill everybody who doesn't think like us. God put us on, on the planet to convert the people who don't think like us. And what brings people to repentance? The goodness of God leads people to repentance. So what do we do? We show the anger of man because we love God and expect people to want to serve the God that we serve when we're asking God to kill them. We want to be those kind of Christians? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. We hate our opponents and we want them dead so we can have a Christian nation. You're laughing, but it's true, isn't it? It's true in Michigan. Amen. So, who sent the Holy Spirit? God did. And what is God's DNA? God is... So what is the power that raised Jesus from the dead? Love. What raises relationships from the dead? Love. What's going to raise a city from the dead? Love. What is going to empower the places in your life? The love, the power of God's love is what God is waiting for us to have to us and then work through us. Listen to me. The devil is after our love. The Bible says that, that Jesus said, because lawlessness increases, most people's love goes cold. So the human response to lawlessness is that we take a step back and start shutting down our love for the lawless. But the lawless are the ones that need our love. So Jesus said, listen, when you see lawless people, you have to betray your natural tendencies to hate them and turn on your spirit and love them. Are you following me? Listen, if we will do this, the world will know we're his disciples. Why? Not because of our doctrine, not because of how we vote, but because how we love one another. Amen. Love, Peter said, be fervent in your love for one another because your love for one another covers a multitude of sins. So our love actually covers the mistakes of people who don't think like us and then the world marks us as Christ followers because we are acting different than they act. How listen, what is it to uh, what is it to you? What is it to the world that if we love that we love people that love us, Jesus said. 
What, what's, what's, what credit is that to us if we love everybody that loves us? He said the real deal is when we love our enemies, when we pray for people who persecute us and slander us and say all and revile us and say all kinds of bad about us and we just keep coming with the power of love. See, this is the spirit that God wants us under the influence of. And this is what the devil is after. The devil isn't after our churches. He's after our love. The spirit of antichrist is the spirit of anti-love. Have you ever read the Bible where it says there's, the antichrist is coming, but there's all kind of antichrists already on the planet? And then the Bible says, this is unbelievable. It says that when the, when the big dog Antichrist comes, he goes into the temple and wants to sit in the seat in the temple of God. Has it ever occurred to you why the Antichrist doesn't want to go sit in the White House? Why he doesn't want to sit in the courthouse? Why he doesn't want to sit in the schoolhouse? He wants to sit in God's house because he is going for the ultimate power and we have the ultimate power. That's why the Antichrist wants to go sit in the seat of the, of the house of God, the synagogue, the, 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 the place where, where the where the preaching of love takes place, he wants to sit there and stop the preaching of love because it's the power of love that converts a heart. You cannot legislate a converted heart. You have to love it into conversion. So, when we understand that we are carrying the exact same spirit that the Son of God carried, we stop acting like slaves to God and we start acting like sons to God, sons of God and daughters of God. If the devil can talk you out of who your father is, remember when he went to the Pharisees and said, you're just like your father, the devil. He's telling the Pharisees, you're just like your father, the devil. You know what that means? He didn't birth you, but he raised you. So you, we've been raised with the wrong spirit, even though our father is God the father. The spirit that raised us was a spirit of one that cho chooses not to love. When you don't understand who your daddy is, you cannot carry the DNA of your father. When you can't carry the DNA of your father, which is love, then we can't be known as Christ's brothers and sisters. When that doesn't happen, then it, it shows up in the way we treat people. And then it slows down the conversion rate, which slows down Jesus coming back. Because when this gospel is preached Jesus, to every man, then, the, then Jesus comes back. I think the devil's trying to buy himself more time by getting us to stop loving people. If we'll love our enemies, Jesus will come back quicker. How good will that be? Amen? Okay, so let me, let me uh, just drop this on you. So, the Apostle Paul said 
that this power of the resurrection is attainable in our humanity. But if you, and, and, if, and then I'm gonna preach my message after this, but, but in Philippians chapter three, look at verse uh, seven through 11, and let me read this to you and then explain, and then I wanna get into what I really wanna talk to you about tonight. It says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I'm counting as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count everything that I thought was a win to be a loss as it compares to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of everything, but everything that I've lost is rubbish compared to him so I can gain, gain that I might gain Christ, that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to the dead. So here he says this, but listen, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already become perfect, He's saying that I'm pressing for what God got a hold of me to get a hold of. Listen, when God got a hold of you, what's your name? Bobby. Bobby, Bobby when God got a hold of you, he didn't get a hold of you just to get a hold of you. He didn't just grab you to sing love songs. He didn't just pull you out of your past and clean you up and put his anointing on you and put the, the fire of God in your bones and to put a love for his word in you and a, a need to worship it. He didn't just grab a hold of you to get a hold of you. The apostle Paul says that, that God didn't just get a hold of me to get a hold of me. He got a hold of me to get a hold of something. And the apostle Paul says, I haven't got a hold of what God got a hold of me to get a hold of. So God got a hold of you to get a hold of something, but you ain't got a hold of what God got a hold of you to get a hold of yet. But you got to forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. You got to press for the prize of the high call of God in Christ because Jesus got a hold of you to get a hold of something. You're not all the way there yet, but in order to get there, you got to forget your past and press to what lies ahead. Why? Because what lies ahead is what God got a hold of you in the first place to get a hold of. But you ain't got a hold of it yet. But God still got a hold of you. But you ain't got a hold of what he got a hold of you to get a hold of. Amen? Isn't that true? So what you want, what, what God wants you to get your hands on he had to get his hands on you before you can get your hands on what he wants you to get your hands on. But what do you do? You press for it. And so if you're good at being the devil, you cause people, and, and then the apostle Paul later in that, in that Philippian scripture says, listen, as many of you as are mature have this mindset in everything. What mindset? I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing. And he said, and if you have a different mindset, God will show that to you because the only way we're going to get to the goal of the prize of the high call of God isn't by carelessly, in a cavalier manner, thinking that it's just going to happen. You got to go for it. Put the pedal to the metal, baby. You got to forget your pain, forget your past, forget your problems and get your press for your prize. And so the apostle Paul says, listen, you got to have this mindset in everything. 
So if you're the devil and you're good at being the devil, instead of, instead of us being pressers, the devil wants to make us beggars. Have you ever seen Christians begging for what already belongs to them? Have you ever seen Christians, I beg you, Lord Jesus. Jesus is not answering beggar prayers. Look at you. I beg you, I beg you, heal me, I beg you, heal my mom, I'll do anything, please, please, please. No, no, the apostle Paul says, it's already yours, it's got your name on it, he got a hold of you to get a hold of it, why are you begging for something that already has your name on it? Your healing, your prosperity, your blessing, uh, household salvation, it's already all yours, you just gotta press for it, not beg for it. The Bible says that David said, I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen God's righteous forsaken or his seed begging. Why are we begging? We're sitting on the curb with a beggar cloak, a McDonald's cup with quarters in it, trying to get Jesus to help a brother out. I'm going to preach my message now. Here we go. If we can go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and let's go verses 46 through 52, and let's talk about this. Hear me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Jesus is going through Jericho, and he walks by this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. All kinds of people around him. Jesus is walking through town. There's a bajillion people all around him. And he's walking by this curb that's beside the road. And there's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. If we can find those scriptures, that'd be great. The son of Timaeus. And he's sitting by the road. He's crying out to Jesus. Jesus doesn't do nothing. He just keeps on strolling. He's sitting there and he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The word mercy means restore me. Give it back to me. Mercy means Jesus have a passion for restoration concerning my situation. D does anyone in this room need some restoration in their situation instead of perspiration? Is there anybody in this room that some things left your life and you need to get those things back in your life? Are there any, is there anything left? That, uh, Jesus wants to restore us and here Bartimaeus is saying, I hear that you can restore. And he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus keeps walking. Why? I'll tell you why in a minute. Many sternly start telling Bartimaeus to shut up and stop bothering Jesus with his nonsense. Listen, man, here's a quarter. Shut up, you blind beggar. Leave the master alone. 
Jesus doesn't want to have nothing to do with you. You're the son of Timaeus. Historians tell us that Timaeus was a beggar too. So now you got Timaeus is a beggar. They have a kid. His name's Bartimaeus. He's a beggar. He's blind. And now he's asking Jesus to get him out of his situation. And everybody, all the voices start telling him to shut up. And he decides, and Jesus doesn't stop. He decides, no, you shut up. And cries out more than before. He shouted all the more. My Bible says he shouted more than before. When he shouted more before, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what happened? Jesus goes, because his request was more than the first request because the first request was too small. He had to go higher in his request for him to get the attention of Jesus. Sometimes we ask too small and our ask doesn't match God's desire for our life. Sometimes we're asking if God can just do this for me and he's called us to this so this isn't stopping him. And right here when we're asking for this, all of the voices of our past are telling us to shut up, be quiet, stop bothering him. Don't, don't allow him, don't, don't, start, don't start bothering Jesus with your minuscule problems. And I think Bartimaeus said, you know what? You're right. I'm asking too small. And he stood up and he cried out. He started praying bigger. He said, no, I don't want just 500,000. I'm going to go for them million dollar prayers. No, I don't want to just like a breakthrough. I want an avalanche. I want to, and when Jesus heard the more than before, he stopped. And he turned around. And all the people that were telling him to shut up started saying, take courage. He's calling for you. <laughs> you know, when Jesus gets your attention, or when you get Jesus' attention, all the people that didn't want nothing to do with you want to all of a sudden be your friend. Right. Let me tell you a quick story. Is that Okay. Okay, so I was a youth pastor for 19 years at the same church. And we grew. I took over the being the youth pastor at this church in Los Angeles. And when I took the youth group, it had 13 kids. And I'm a young guy. I don't know what I'm doing. Just coming out of Bible college. And so I'm this young guy. I don't know the Bible that good. But I could sure rally young people. And so I took this youth group and began to develop it and grow it. I started a youth Bible college. And next thing you know, I blink. And we have the largest youth ministry in America. I'm the chaplain to the Los Angeles Lakers for 12 years when they're winning all the world champions, championships. I got the, some of the Lakers coming to youth group when they're world champions, interviewing them. I'm on, I, Sports Illustrated did a little article about me. I, and all this stuff was going on. And we get this big, huge youth ministry. 
And then the adults had to meet in the youth room so the youth can meet in the main sanctuary. So the pastor was like, you got, okay. So the adults are down in the youth room, you know. All right, open your Bibles. And the youth are taking over the whole sanctuary because on Wednesday nights, the thing was huge. Okay. So one day, the elders go to the pastor and say, listen, you're 75 years old. It's time to transition the church over to Steve. Give Steve the church, and you could be the pastor emeritus, but you're 75. You got to give it to this young buck who's tearing it up. And he agreed. So he announces Steve Hage is now going to be the senior pastor of Christian Chapel, and we're starting the transition, and all the elders are in agreement, and da 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 da. And somebody gets his ear, and he brings the entire pastoral. I still to this day don't know what happened. He brings the entire pastoral team into his office and fires everybody. He's 75 years old. And the youth group, youth ministry goes to nothing because I'm gone. Their leader's gone. Every other pastor in the church is gone. And it's just him and his wife and Medicare, I guess. Looking at their AARP card going. <laughs> a few years go by. And this famous evangelist is rented the Honda Center across from Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California. There's 21,000 people in this arena. And this man asked me to come and just sit on the platform with him. And they're worshiping the Lord. There's 21,000 people. I'm just sitting on the platform worshiping Jesus. And this man turns around. He said, Steve Hage, come and tell the people what God is saying. What? (laughs) There's 21,000 people here. I don't know what God is saying. You didn't tell me to ask God what he's saying. I was just here to support you, and now you have to go to the bathroom or something because you're telling me to come get the mic, and you're gone. So I didn't even think. I just got up, took the mic. He went and stood over there, and I gave an altar call, and 8,000 people came to the front and gave their lives to Christ. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. The guy who fired me, is sitting up in the rafters watching the guy that he fired do that. So after the crusade, I get a phone call. He got my number from somewhere, and he calls me. And he says, I haven't had a minute's peace since I fired you. I'm afraid to go to heaven because I'm going to have to give an answer for what I did. I said, listen, man, I forgave you right after you did it. So why don't you just go on with your life and not be afraid? And he said, well, when can I see you? And don't get mad at me. I said, on TV. (laughs) You can see me on TV. What do you think? We're going to be buddies now? 
I forgive you. I don't want to be friends with you. I forgive you, but you're still toxic as ever because you think Jesus is going to reprimand you in heaven. I forgive you, but you don't get to come back with your toxicity into my proximity. I love you. I pray for you, but you don't get to see me because you decided to put distance between us. I think that was the healthy response. Why do I want to go back into that, right? When Jesus calls for you, everybody who rejected you is going to want to come back to you. Take courage. He's calling for you. Okay, put those scriptures back up there. And so he walks over to Jesus, and the Bible says he casts aside his cloak. The cloak was a social economic identifier that he was officially a beggar. This is where the devil wants us. He threw his cloak, and he came to Jesus. And look at verse 51. And Jesus said, or for, what Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Hello? You got the creator of the universe's attention. And he doesn't say to Bartimaeus, ask me a question. Like Bartimaeus said, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? Jesus asked him, what do you want? Now that I'm in Holland, Michigan, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus is asking. Clarity precedes empowerment. The blind man saw better than the people who could see. And what if Jesus was walking through, what do you want me to do for you, mama? Or how about grandma? Yeah, sorry. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? You're a young man. What do you want? What do you want? Not, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, what do you want? What's in your heart? What did I put in your heart? What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Doc, what do you want for your family, for your future, for your legacy? When was the last time you got clarity about it and told Jesus about it? What do you want, little girl? What do you want, girlfriend? Who was ever girlfriend you are? What do you, you know? Okay, now we know what you want. <laughs> what do you two lovebirds want? What do you want him to do for you? See, this is the big deal. We have been lied to where your whole life is about something besides what God wants for you. What do you want? What do you want? Ed, what do you want? What do you guys want? What do you want for your city? What do you want for your family? What do you want for your church? What do you want for your finances? What do you want for your health? What do you want? What do you want him to do for you? And this man says, I want to get my sight back. And Jesus said, you had faith this whole time. Your faith has made you well. And he went from being on the side of the road to following Jesus on the road. So here's the question right now, if I can have the person on the piano. 
That's what I want Jesus to do for me. If Jesus was walking through here right now, what's your prayer request, mama? What do you want, sir? What do you want? How come you're not playing the piano? What do you guys want? What do you want, man? Start now. What do you want Jesus to do for you? He's not asking you what you can do for him. He's asking you what he can do for you. It's in the Bible. What do you want? Pastor, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you two corner dwellers want? Come on. So here we are. We're right smack dab in the middle. We're not in Jericho, but we're in Holland. And my prayer for you for the last two months is that God, we will stop being experts on unanswered prayer. And that Sunday night would be a night when miracles go into motion, just like Bartimaeus' miracle got into motion. That this would be the night that we stop begging for what's already ours and start putting our foot down and believing that God wants to give you everything that he gave you by way of desire that's in your heart right now. Some of us have been blind so long that we've just figured out how to work around it. But what if tonight was the night my brother what if tonight was the night that it all came back to life that all the regrets melted away that you rose up out of the ashes and everybody who doubted you goes my god what happened to that guy he had an encounter with Jesus and everybody who said it couldn't happen is now watching it happen. That all the regrets in your life get erased, get washed clean. That those dreams that you had when you were in your 20s come back to life and materialize. What if you trade the life that you've settled for to the life that you've dreamed about? What if all the regret went away? Look at me. What if all that getting down on yourself stopped tonight forever? And the person that's hiding in there for all those years that you know is in there, you just didn't know how to let her out? What if today was the first day of the rest of your life? And all those regrets that you regurgitate and all that pain you try to medicate and all the comfort you've been looking for in one getting up and putting your foot down, it all turned around for you. Look at me. Tonight's your night. Your life can change. Your life will change. 
because you're getting it back. You want your life back? You're getting it back. Tonight's your night. You're like, I came to church on Sunday night and he's embarrassing the bejeebus out of me. I don't care. Write a letter to the pastor. Amen. I don't care. Man, you want to evangelize people. You want to see people saved. You want to go back to where you came from. You want to unwind all that stuff that entangled you. You have a heart for people who are caught in a life that they don't, they think they're trapped and God delivered you out of that, my man. And now listen to me, look at me. The apostle Paul, when Jesus got him, Saul of Tarsus, look at me. When Saul of Tarsus got knocked off his donkey, Jesus said, I'm delivering you from the Jews. I'm delivering you from the Gentiles. And then I'm going to send you to them. Sometimes God has to deliver you from people before he can send you to people. And sometimes the very people that he delivers you from are the people he's sending you to. And look at me, God has delivered you from those people. And now under your pastor's care and supervision, you're going back. I see you walking the streets, leading people to Jesus. I see you pulling in, pulling in a truck with a band on it and playing music and gathering a crowd and preaching your brains out and people coming to Jesus in the most, most rough parts of town. And the protection of his angels are going to be around you. God's going to use your voice to redeem people in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. I wish I was him. You're stepping into a season of answered prayer. There's been, you're like patient. You trust God, you're this patient lady. Whatever, okay, God, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Right? Yeah, I could tell. The Bible says that you inherit the promises through faith and patience. And the Holy Spirit's telling me that you've had both. And now you're going to step into a season where God's promises are flooding into your life. And God is pleased with you. You believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of people who diligently seek him and you've diligently sought him. And now your reward is coming and it's coming fast. It's like haul and butt. It's coming. Here it comes. It'll hit you. You'll be like, that's what that preacher told me. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're stepping into a season of answered prayer. You deserve it. You've been sacrificing a long time. Doing without. Putting yourself last. And now your last is going to put you first. You've been a servant. Now you're going to be great in the kingdom. And blessings are coming. 
you're going to get a baptism of joy that people aren't going to be able to shut you up. You're going to be all happy. You'll be buying people dinner and stuff. You'll be like, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Amen. <sighs> Did I tell you you could stop? <laughs> Helen, where are you? Deal with this. God's increasing your ministry gift. You see yourself reaching more people than you're reaching right now. But divine favor is coming on your life in a way you've never experienced it before. And the favor of God is going to begin to increase your territory of influence you're like the centurion that said just say the word because I'm a man that has authority and that's under authority and because you have a revelation of loyalty and faithfulness God is increasing he's entrusting and increasing he's trusting you with increase of influence for the kingdom you have a pastoral, but an evangelistic, like you want people saved, but you want them to grow. You want to hurry up and get them in the kingdom so you can grow them into the people God wants them to be. So you're, you're, you love people to get saved, but you love people to grow in their salvation more than you love to see them saved. And God is going to begin to use you to instruct people, to in, in, uh, equip people to enlarge people, to grow people. You spent a long time being faithful and now you're going to move into a long time of being fruitful according to ministry gift in you. There's a greater level of fulfillment that's coming to your life. There might have been some things that you felt like you wanted to do for God and there just wasn't any opportunity and you kind of felt a little unfulfilled and God is going to take care of that in this next season of your life that you're going to be overwhelmed with how great you feel and how great life is and how strong your ministry is and how fruitful your ministry is to people get ready for a lot of people to love you a lot amen is this your wife don't get jealous you're welcome. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible says if you're hungry and thirsty after righteousness, you get satisfied. So your season of dissatisfaction, like you're just kind of grinding, being faithful, you're not complaining, but there's this dull sense that there's more but you've been seeking and hungering after the right things. And so the Lord just wants you to know that he notices that you've set the conditions in your life for satisfaction and gratification and that he's going to accommodate that. That little restless place that nobody sees, but you have it 
at home or when you get in bed and look at the stucco on the ceiling, there's this thing, right? Is this right? Okay, so God sees it, he knows it, and he's going to satisfy it. I don't know how he's going to satisfy it. It might be supernatural. It might be natural that's super. I don't know. But those days are coming to an end for you. Amen. God's going to satisfy you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're a good girl. You're a good girl. Love it. Love it. Love it. This couple back here, I talked to you today. Uh, and your name is Ed. Ed, I'm Esteban. Hola, que pasa? Que pasa, homie? What's, what's going on? And your name again one more time? Eileen. Eileen and Ed. A supernatural story going on here. Human hands did not put this together. This was not manufactured by your intentions. In fact, this took everybody by surprise. And God took her from Cuba and you from Mexico and brought you from two different continents to this continent and then put you together. Because there's something bigger than you on the inside of you. And you have a ability to appraise life honestly, authentically, and communicate that. And that's going to be attractive to many people. You're going to be, this couple, you, you guys are going to be a magnet for people who are searching. That haven't found because you were searching and you found each other by a miracle. I don't even want to know the story. Crazy. But the miracle that happened to you, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit saying, you're carrying that miracle for others. So the miracle of people searching for love, searching for fulfillment, searching for destiny, they're going to gravitate towards you and your prayers are going to open wide spaces for many people that are searching and they're going to find what they're looking for and God's going to use you to bring encouragement to those people and many people are going to find a new depth in God because of the way you guys have trusted God with your lives. Amen? Are you ready for that? You're wishing that. The wish is over. It's in motion now. In Jesus' name, I just speak it over your life. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, let's all stand. I've got about five more minutes. And uh, where's the youth pastor at? Adrian. Yo, Adrian. I did it. Come over here so I can pray for you. And your wife who doesn't speak Spanish but sings in Spanish, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Just stand right here. Where are you? Just stand right here. Wife, are you here? 
okay, she's coming soon, but no one knows the day or the hour, just like Jesus. Let me pray for you. When I was a young man, much younger than I am today, that's a Beatles song, isn't it? (laughs) When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. Okay, whatever. I don't know it in Spanish, sorry. Okay. I had 13 kids in my youth group. 13. And this prophet came to town. His name was Dale Gentry. I don't even know if he's still alive. And I was a lot less refined than you are, Adrian. I was a gang member the only white kid in an all-black gang in Los Angeles. I get saved. I didn't know anything about anything. I'd never been to a wedding. I actually went to a wedding one time. I'd never been to a wedding. And I went into the reception before the bride and groom got there and cut myself a piece of cake. Boy, was I in trouble. I had no idea. I'd never been to a wedding. Well, I went to one wedding where my uncle Rich's daughter got married in the garage of their house. That was the only wedding I'd ever been to. And they had a keg in there and some taquitos. And that's, that was, that's, what, I, that's what I did. So I go to a nice wedding. That's, that's, that's how refined I was. And this prophet called me in front of the church. And he said, you're the youth pastor? I said, yeah. He said, give me a number of how many young people you want to be ministering to in your youth ministry in the next season. I had 13 kids. I was still in Bible college. I didn't know what I was doing. And right up out of my spirit, I didn't even think about it. It just popped out. I said 700 teenagers. And in less than a year, We had over 700 teenagers. And then it kept going and growing and going and growing. Like I was telling you today. Next thing you know, I'm preaching on the United States Capitol to 300,000 young people. You don't even know anybody who's preached on the United States Capitol. I have. 80,000 people got saved that day. 80,000 hands went up to get right with God because of this ghetto kid who said 700. And they're like, he's got to talk to America's young people. And I wrote this book entitled Impact Principles to Influence the Emerging Generation." Pat Robertson brought me on the 700 Club to talk about it. And I'm a ghetto kid with an afro and an attitude on the 700 Club. And God took a nobody from nowhere with no pedigree. And a prophet asked me when I was a nobody, how many? And I told him. 
and I got this attention of the nation because who's caring for young people right now we're watching them kill each other we're watching them impregnate each other we're watching them get abortions we're watching the fathers walk out the mothers medicate work two or three jobs so they could play sport it's they need a voice the right voice will help them make the right choice wrong voice wrong choice and what if what if you're that voice to this region there might have been people before you but none of them could hang because young people are tough because they can smell out phony people that fast and they blow out on you so let me ask you how many how many you want 500 how many does this place seat 354 great Helena is the best how much do I weigh how many hairs do I have left on my head what am I having for dinner 354 the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to fill this thing up with young people listen to me you're going to have a youth you're going to have a youth worship team that melts the paper and the paint the paint's going to start bubbling because it's going to be so hot you're going to preach fire and young people are going to start watching you burn You're going to start going to high schools and junior highs and colleges and you're going to start working with the kids that they can't control. And you're going to pastor this city. You're going to start looking at every young person you see as you being their pastor, they just don't know it yet. And you're going to talk to them just like you're their pastor. How you doing? How you holding up? This makes perfect sense to you. None of this is surprising you. You thought you were being ambitious. Actually being accurate. I want you to consecrate yourself, man. The days of screwing around, over. Being cavalier and careless, over. Get a prayer life. Start getting up an hour before you get up and go to the Father. Start praying for generation read your bible like crazy i want you to write your own commentary on the pauline epistles you become a madman for the gospels 
for the gospel because this generation needs somebody who'll pay the price and not just order pizza and shuffle parent permission slips and order buses. We're not having youth group, we're having youth church. God's calling you to mobilize a generation to rip the lips off of the devil in Jesus' name. And you're going to bring transformation to a city of young people in Jesus' name. And how many would like to see that happen for this guy? Let me put my hands on you. Father, I lay my hands on this young man. And if you're willing, Holy Spirit, that anointing you put in me, for young people, transfer it to him. The boldness, the ability to preach, the ability to move a generation, the ability to speak with boldness and confidence, the ability to love young people who have lost their ever love in mind, the ability to convince gang members that it's, it's better to be a church member than a gang member. Amen. And Lord, let the anointing of the Holy Spirit fall upon my friend Adrian. And Lord, use these hands to gather. Use these eyes to evangelize. And Lord, let his heart beat with yours. Give him strategy. Give him courage. Give him business people to come alongside him and bankroll what he's doing. In the mighty name of Jesus, I bless this couple now. Lord, let it all come to pass. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen and amen. Let's bless the Lord. Let's bless the Lord. Come on, somebody. Okay, I'm not done, but I'm going to stop. Because if I keep going, you'll be like, that dude talks so long, I ain't coming back on Monday. We got one more day together. I promise tomorrow will be more powerful than tonight. But before I go, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to get your number one prayer request in the crosshairs of your prayers. Jesus is walking through this room right now. And he's asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? And you need to tell him. I just want your will. That's not what he's asking. He's not asking you whose will you want. He's asking you what exactly do you want? I want my marriage back. I want my money back. I want my joy back. I want my fire back. I want my passion back. I want my confidence back. In the mighty name of Jesus, ask him. And I'm coming to, into agreement with you now. Wherever two agree as touching anything on earth, it'll be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. Heaven is about to kiss earth. And what you're believing for is about to go into motion in this very moment in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I come into agreement. You are big enough to hear and recognize and fulfill every single request that's going up to you right now. And Lord, I'm sending my agreement with every request. And Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' mighty name, Lord, to 
respond with a yes. Respond to the faith that's in this room. Respond to the precious people that are in this place. And Lord, send revival to this house. Use this people, Lord, to be a glove on your mighty hand of love, but meet every request in Jesus' name. Now everybody say, I believe. Now I receive. Now I want you to receive it. Receive it. Don't just believe. I want you to receive. Look at me for one quick second. God, I'm talking so long, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry, but listen. Lazarus is dead for four days. The sisters come and say, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have yesterday faith. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. He said, no, he's going to rise again. Well, I know in the resurrection, tomorrow faith. And then he said, I am the resurrection. And then when he prayed to raise Lazarus from the dead, he didn't say, Father, can you? He didn't say, Father, will you? He said, Father, thank you that you hear me. Thank you. How do you know You've gone from believe to receive. You thank him before he does it. As if he has already done it. That's what Jesus said. Not can you, not will you. Thank you that you're about to hear me. That you hear me right now. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And boom, shakalaka, here he came. So will you just lift your hands? And thank him for what you just asked him for. Just thank him. No, you believe. Not will you. Not can you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that it's coming back. Thank you that you're ministering life. Thank you that you're healing me. Thank you that you're prospering me. Thank you that my family is coming into salvation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's give God a hand clap of praise like he's already done it for you. Come on, praise him. Give God high praise in this place. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor, come on up. You two girls right here as he's coming. Especially you. I don't know you. I don't think I've ever seen you. What's up, baby? When I walked away from you, I heard the Holy Spirit say, tell them that there are a hundred souls that I'm going to use them to bring into the kingdom. One hundred people. I don't even know if you know a hundred people. You probably do. Are you Latina? So you know a hundred people. They're your family. Okay. <laughs> They're at the house right now waiting for menudo. I know, I understand. <laughs> but God is going to use you as a bridge for a hundred people.
come into the kingdom. And most of them will follow you right into this place. You're going to have your whole section full of people that you've led to Jesus. And you're going to back her in prayer. You're going to encourage her. You're going to, who, who is this lady to you? Okay, then, oh, oh, what, really? You look like her sister. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But your prayers are going to give her power and boldness. God's going to give you ideas. He's going to give you courage. You're going to, men and women and kids, you're going to get on fire and God's going to anoint your voice. And when I walked away, I heard the Lord say, there's a hundred people in that woman. There's a hundred souls for the kingdom inside of her. So give me your hand. Lord, I just release the boldness to do it in Jesus' name. Anoint this little girl, give me your hand, to pray for mama and let them together. If one can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand. You'll go get a hundred people for Jesus. Amen. All right, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for coming.